You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Woman on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders past and present and the owners of the land you are hearing us from. Today on the show, Marjorie Anderson, the National Manager at 13 Yarn, discusses cultural safety and later in the program, we hear an interview that Woman on the Line programmer Emma Hart did with Tuffy Mortwitzer from the Gungarai Environment Centre. We start the show with Marjorie explaining the risk factors that affect the well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. When you look at um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, you can't not um, acknowledge the intergenerational trauma um, through the past government policies that goes through our families. And when Aboriginal people reach out for help, they often have to teach people about their culture and their community and their family makeup because our families are very different to non-Aboriginal families. And, and their responsibility within those families before they can get the help they need because that cultural knowledge is not there. Um, so when, when you look at somebody in trauma, the last thing they want to do is to be educating, you know, somebody else. So that's always a bit of a barrier for Aboriginal people seeking help and also the lack of culturally appropriate services out there. And it's a huge barrier. And so Aboriginal people remain in this trauma and then, you know, go on to self-medicate and then non-Aboriginal people see that as drug addiction or alcohol addiction, whereas I call that self-medication for because of the trauma that Aboriginal people have gone through in their lives. Now that we have a better understanding of the issues that disproportionately impact Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, let's look at how 1-3 Yarn operates. It provides one-on-one yarning and crisis support. So when you ring 13 Yarn, you'll be answered by an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people that's highly trained and highly skilled. They've had the same training as Lifeline um, crisis supporters, but with a cultural lens put over the top of that. So they're even more highly trained than lifeline crisis supporters. And what happens is you can ring up and, you know, you get that anxious, icky feeling in your stomach or something like that. You just feel anxious or you feel no good. Ring up and you can have a yarn with a brother or sister. And what that does is it then de-escalates people to um, really uh, come down to... um, reduce the anxiety and the anxiousness. And then what we do is we always make sure that people are safe when they're on the line. And we talk about how can we prevent this happening in the future? What sort of services would they like to go to and refer? Some people just say, you know what, I don't need anything else. This yarn has really just done everything for me. Thank you very much. If I get like this again, I'll call back again. Um, But some people want ongoing help or services or need referral because they've got, you know, housing problems or they've got, you know, financial issues or trying to put food on the table. We might refer them to a food bank or 
they might need some ongoing counselling. So we look for some culturally appropriate counselling. Um, so it could be a range of services that we do um, put the help seekers in um, in touch with. Oh, well, we, we give them the phone numbers and then we empower them to see, seek that help themselves. You probably noticed that Marjorie refers to help seekers as brothers and sisters, affectionate terms that create familiarity and a sense of kinship. This is cultural safety in practice. In this next clip, Marjorie discusses the people who made 1-3 Yarn possible. And, and one thing that we did do in the very beginning when we were designing the services, we made sure that we had remote Aboriginal people, urban, rural, LBGTQIAP plus people. We had um, youth, we had elders, we had Aboriginal mental health professionals, we had stolen generation, we had people who had lived in out of home care. We made sure that we had the diversity of the community on our working parties to ensure that 13 yarn would be appropriate for everybody. So we so this has been designed by the community for the community. And that I think makes a real difference. And it's a much more friendly line. It's less um less stiff and less um, you know, like Aboriginal people call lifeline white line. And they go, well that was a good service. It's still a white line. They don't understand me as a person. And and so it's much more conversational and um and much safer to ring for Aboriginal people because, you know, it's a culturally safe space and it is confidential. You can ring from Manangrida and somebody from Perth might answer or somebody from Nowra or so it's absolutely confidential. We don't need to know your name. We don't need to know any personal details. We're just there to help. So how can you get in touch with 13 Yarn? We're 24-7, seven days a week. We're there Christmas Day, we're there New Year's Eve, we're there every day of the year for you. And all you have to do is ring 13 Yarn, which is 13 9276. And, um, and somebody will answer the call and have a yarn to you. So 24-7, seven days a week, we're always there. That was Marjorie Anderson, the National Manager at 13 Yarn. You can learn more about 13 Yarn by visiting 13yarn.org.au. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Woman on the Line. Next, we'll hear from Tuffy Morwitzer, campaigner for the Goongarai Environment Centre, speaking about the recent announcement by the Andrews government of the end of native forest logging in Victoria with Woman on the Line broadcaster Emma Hart. My name is Tuffy Morvitza. I'm a campaigner for the Goongar Environment Centre out in East Gippsland. We're working to protect the, and restore the forests out there. We're talking today because the Premier Daniel Andrews has recently announced that native forest logging will cease in Victoria by January the 1st, 2024. So before we get into what that means, what exactly is native forest logging and what does it involve in, at the moment? So for the last... Uh, many decades, native forest logging has been clear fell logging, which is the removal of all of those trees in a coop, an area where they where they um, are designated for harvest. And it's changed names, but it's the same it's the same thing when you go and visit those areas. 
The majority of um, those trees is used for pulp, so exported for as wood chips for single-use products um, that eventually ends up in landfill. One of the biggest myths being perpetrated at the moment um, by the industry is, you know, around the use of these forests for construction of houses, which is primarily plantation, it's not native forest logging, or um, sawn timber, which is only 4% of what they actually use in, in a coop area, in a designated area. So it's a tiny fraction amount. It's, um, it's ultimately um, destroying ecosystems that will never recover and be the same within our lifetimes ever again for single-use products. And native logging of this kind was previously scheduled to end in 2030. Um, so how did this change come about? I think it's been a confluence of factors and um, many tiny cuts leading up to this moment. So we had the Black Summer bushfires, which hit 80% of the forested area, 81% in East Gippsland. Um, so that has created a, not just a pressure on the industry, but of course a huge pressure on um, ecosystems that were already in a state of collapse before those bushfires. So there's been a huge amount of public pressure since those fires. Um, as you know, the ALP increased their margin after the last election. The Nationals also increased out in regional Vic, their, their presence, and there was a number of MPs that moved over into the left faction after the last election as well. So the political landscape is very different within the ALP at the moment, and we had a court case that came through after um, on the tail end of a blockade that we ran, um, and that court case was by Environment East Gippsland and then and King Lake Friends of the Forest and now Gippsland Environment Group. And that court case was arguing that um, Vic Forest wasn't surveying appropriately for threatened species, in particular the yellow belly glider and the greater glider, and that its actions were, you know, killing those species. And the judge found them guilty of that practice and ordered them to... Um, have to survey the entire coop area as well as increase the protection zone and 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 how they and how that's applied within within the coops as well. Big forests threw their hands up in the air and um, didn't didn't really stand by their workers and and ceased all logging across Victoria aside from disaster logging. So since that point, their workers have been stood down for many months, about six months now, and the government's made a decision to give those workers some certainty and has moved the date forward. So there's a few, few a number of factors at play. You mentioned ecologies earlier, and before we chat about that, um, and especially, yes, the greater glider and the yellow-bellied glider, I mean, in terms of, yeah, the people who are working in the native logging industry at the moment, what what is going to happen to their livelihoods with this change? So many of them have already not been working for the last six months. White paper production at Murrayvale Mill shut down. So, yeah, the number of jobs has already been decreasing in the last little while. 
The transition process in East Gippsland has been in motion for the last two years. So Goongra is just one hour north of Orbost and Orbost used to be the premier timber town back in the day. So they've been the pilot town to, um, you know, be going through this transition. The transition itself is taking a whole economic approach. So it's not just looking at forests, but it's looking at multiple areas, including, for example, agriculture, tourism, a seed bank. So it's really looking to revitalise um, you know, a lot of these growth potentials, as that's the model that they're using as a growth model um, within these areas. Forest management um, is obviously still a very contested space. We've been participating in that space and there's no, as yet no um, conclusive outcome. And there definitely wouldn't be one even in the future that would be giving jobs like for like in the same way. So what we are seeing, though, is as part of the announcement, is a move into bushfire mitigation. And, you know, in terms of fire track clearing at the moment, there's, I don't have the exact figure um, on the hectares, but um, I've been told it's somewhere within within the remit of half a million hectares for fire track clearing. They use the same equipment as they use to clear tracks as they use to clear fire tracks. The science on that is very uh, contested. Um, yeah, and, and not just in that particular part of bushfire mitigation, but um, a lot of the different practices that the industry has been pushing for, both as part of the transition space and in other ways for quite some time now. Um, and so what we want to see is, you know, an end to the wood pulp agreement, which has embedded contractual obligations for the Maryvale Mill um, and the state government to fulfil pulp harvest levels. And so we want to see basically the profit motive taken out of this type of activity so that these um, logs that they retrieve from fire track clearing, from roadside clearing, from, you know, they want to move into thinning as well, all of this, which has very contested science, we want to see the profit motive taken out of that and actually an independent body um, initiated to that would govern bushfire mitigation so that we know both that it's, actually reducing risk for communities as well as the, um, you know, lowering impacts for the environment. You mentioned the phrase forest management. So what, um, would you like to go into a little bit more detail there? What does that phrase actually mean? It's a really good question because it is a total buzzword at the moment. Everyone's saying it. <laughs> um, what we mean by it is essentially an investment in a care economy and a conservation economy. What that looks like is restoring the forest towards the original uh, ecological vegetation class that they were. So um, not just creating more tree plantations, but actually ecosystems. Um, so we want to see them restore these areas. At the moment, 30% of all coops are not regenerating. 50% of alpine ash and mountain ash coops are not regenerating. And so we want to see a big investment, not just like how can we continue to retrofit the industry so that they continue to use the machines and have jobs, but actually how can we build resilience within um, ecosystems and the environment that we also benefit from. So, you know, looking at decreasing sedimentation in waterways and runoff, which has been a really big problem from cliff logging, erosion of waterways, as well as like, implementing the action statements for various species, updating and implementing them, as well as for pest 
pest species as well. There's a whole range of work that needs to be done for the environment. And that's, I guess, what we mean when we say forest management. Of course, when the industry says forest management, it's just a code word for continuing to log in another way. Touching again on ecologies, this is a really big change. So what what does the end of native logging mean for, for these forests and for the the ecologies that go with them and especially, I guess, some of the animals that live in those spaces too? It's huge. You know, the legacy on the landscape of logging is really big. And with climate crises, we need to be building back more connective landscapes. In East Gippsland, we have the privilege of having a, a landscape, a forested landscape that's connected from the Alpine right to the coast. Nowhere else on mainland Australia has that kind of connectivity. Of course, a lot of it was fire damaged, you know, but there is still uh, recoveries varied and there's still species that are being found, uh, threatened species that are being found in those areas. So we want to see an attendance to, you know, having a landscape scale approach that allows for species to be able to migrate and move as the climate warms to those higher elevation areas. It means that with all of these increasing and compounding challenges that species are facing with climate change, they've got a better chance now than what they had before. If you remove their homes, they don't have any to live in. It's very simple. And you mentioned as well the greater glider and yellow-bellied glider before. Can you speak to what's going on with those two species in particular? I can speak a bit on the greater glider. So the greater glider has gone from vulnerable to endangered just within six years. And logging was listed in its conservation advice when it was uplisted to endangered as a major contributor. So the reason that logging affects this species so bad is because they are a kind of sedentary. They have their particular home trees. They get very attached to them. They have a small range that they operate in. When those areas are cleared, they don't leave where they are. They um, can only eat a restricted food source, so they're not they can't easily adapt, and they don't deal well with with rising temperatures. Sometimes they keep a single tree within a coop, but um, often that tree is extremely exposed to um, the elements, and it doesn't survive. Um, the rates of survival are very low. So, yeah, so that it is hurtling towards extinction at the moment. And, you know, thankfully, the logging ending by the end of the year might give it just that bit more of a chance to survive. For listeners who haven't seen a picture of a greater glider, could you just explain what kind of animal it is and what it looks like? So the greater glider is, I like to describe it as like a cross between a possum and a gremlin. It's kind of got <laughs> big, big kind of fairy ears and and eyes looks, you know, got a possum body. It's kind of chunky, got a big long tail. 
Um, it can glide up to 100 metres from a tree and they actually come in different colours, um, although they're, I think they're the same species. I have to check that. There was just some recent discovery about that. So they're black and white as well. So, yeah, they're very cute. Sounds beautiful. So in terms of where to from here, what is next on the agenda with this change? You mentioned, um, I guess, economic transitions, but there's also um, more questions around forests, as I understand it. Well, we would like to see forests grow old. And clear logging, of course, is a restriction on that, but other land management practices such as uh, landscape-scale burning really reduce and can really damage older trees. So, yeah, we would like to see trees grow old, older older forests uh, filter water the best. They, they're the most biodiverse kinds of forests there are in East Gippsland. We're really lucky because we had, you know, the biggest tracts of old-growth forests in the state out there, although, you know, those forests aren't very resilient to, to fires as well. But ultimately, you know, older, older forests also buffer fires. There's a lot of good research coming out around that um, from Australia of the fire mitigating effect of older forests. So, um, yeah, we would, we would like to see more investment in a longer time frame for forests and, of course, um, cultural stewardship um, rights handed back to um, First Nations people as part of that um, conservation economy that we talked about. And if listeners want more information about uh, what is going on in this space or about our conversation today, where's the best place for them to look for that? Well, they can go to our website if they like at gecko.org.au. That's G-E-C-O. Um, we've got a lot of great news blog blog posts on there, um, also on our socials on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Gecko is also a member of the Victorian Forest Alliance. And so, yeah, they can just Google those that place and um, on those platforms and find them as well. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we wrap up our conversation? It's so nice to get this win. Gecko turns 30 years. We've, we've been fighting against clear fell logging and wood chipping for 30 years. So, you know, the announcement is it's so welcome, but it's also been a very difficult week for a lot of people in the movement just reflecting on everything that's been lost in the process to get to this point, all the beautiful forests, all the sacrifices that people made. You know, Gecko ran the, one of the longest forest blockades in Australian history. It was five years. Five years people were on that blockade, over 500 arrests. You know, this has been a huge mammoth struggle for decades. And so while this is, um, yeah, so welcome and we absolutely need to celebrate it, it's good to get to this point. It's, it's a moment that has also been filled with a lot of grief within the community for us. It's nice to see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and absolutely now we can finally move on to having those conversations of restoring and building back, you know, and hopefully we have enough time. Well, you know, it's always worth fighting for in any case. That was Tuffy Moore with Sarah Campaigner for Gecko. That's the Goongarai Environment Centre speaking about the implications of Andrew's government's recent announcement of the end of native forest logging in Victoria. 
Tuffy was speaking with Woman on the Line broadcaster Emma Hart. Woman on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash Woman on the Line. The theme music for Woman on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. Taking us out is Sanford the Great with Made Us Better featuring Blue Lab Beats, Bodie and Laurie. I'm Ian Shurwa and you've been listening to Woman on the Line.
They said we made it to the fire and the healing and the freedom I hope you see the many miles that we've done Remember when we released the spirit of the ego and just let go The many miles just climbed I heard the echo But I never make it through the pain and the surface might in vain Remember when we never thought we'd never get through yeah. And we worry about peace yeah. My seeds say peace, my religion And we still want free You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.